Praise the Lord. We'll be studying the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And if you're having trouble finding it, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Um, Along with Job, these are the poetry books. These are the wisdom books. And uh, how many know we need wisdom? And um, as we're going to talk about today, this person... Solomon was specially created to be a conduit for wisdom. He didn't always apply the wisdom to his life, but you'll find out in this study today, if you're open to the Holy Spirit, God knew what Solomon was going to do in his life. And Solomon mentioned several times that he retained his wisdom and he was completely backslidden. Let me know that. And so God uses a wicked person who's backslidden and evil and he retained the wisdom that God blessed him with and it's to help us understand the error of his ways. He took a supernaturally anointed man of wisdom to help us not make the serious mistakes in life. And that's what this book is about. So let's read first our Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 12 through 14. It says, I the teacher was king over Israel and Jerusalem. Now that's a very important verse there. I the teacher, whoever the person is that wrote this is so humble, he won't even write his name. Which to be honest with you, did not apply to Solomon during his lifetime, which makes this book complicated. We're going to have to do some real research to figure out who's talking in this book because he doesn't mention his name. There's a humility there with this man that Solomon didn't appear to have a lot of his life, okay? But it says he was the king in Israel in Jerusalem, Here's the problem. In order to be the king of Israel in Jerusalem, it would have had to have been Solomon. Because no longer was the king of Israel in Jerusalem. They were in Samaria after um, the time of uh, Solomon because the kingdom split. And the northern kingdom, the king of Israel, was actually in Samaria and had a different capital city. So this is unusual. And this name here, some of your versions say preacher, I the preacher. Or I the teacher. And this is a term that's not really used in the Old Testament. Preacher. One who assembles people together to teach. Uh, One who has something to say that everybody needs to be gathered together to hear. It's an unusual term. We've got to sort this out because this is an unusual book. There's some mysteries here that you may not notice if you're not careful. He said, I devoted myself to study. And to explore by wisdom all that is under heaven. So he applied himself through this supernatural gift that God gave him. How many remember Solomon was given supernatural wisdom? Wisdom beyond any man that Bible says that lived before him or after him. You say, well, what about Jesus? He said that I'm a greater than Solomon. 
is among you. Jesus wasn't all man. You can't apply before Solomon and after Solomon to somebody that's 100% man and 100% God. When Jesus walked in, he surely said, a greater than Solomon is among you right now. So his wisdom was beyond Solomon, but before Solomon and after Solomon, there's never been anybody as wise or intelligent as, as Solomon. So he said, I devoted myself to study everything that's under the sun. I devoted myself with wisdom. So everything that he studied, all of his life experiences were filtered through supernatural wisdom. Meaning everything that he experienced, he had the intelligence and the wisdom beyond us or anybody else that lived before him and after him besides Jesus Christ. So we better listen to the experiences he had because God knew that he was going to backslide and God allowed him to take every facet of life that we try to get pleasure in and filtered it through wisdom. So we better figure out the conclusions that he took because this life that he lived was amazing. I mean, there's not too many lives under the sun that were greater than Solomon's life. In fact, I would venture to say there maybe never has been. His life was so abnormally, excessively wonderful under the sun. I don't know that there will ever be another one like Solomon. He was the richest man maybe that ever lived. He was the most honorable person that maybe ever lived in the eyes of man. He just, everything that he did, he was the most powerful man. Um, he was, and I'll get into his life in a minute, but there's some amazing things about his life. But under the sun is what he's studying. He's saying, what would life be like just under the sun? Just under, in fact, they put another term with it, under the heavens. Like, here's what life is like if you never live beyond the earth. Like if your whole life is earthly, your whole life is on this earth and God never has a part of your life. If it's apart from God, here's the best that it can get. And that's what he's studying. What is the best it can be without God? And so he studied this. He applied himself to this. When you see under the sun, under heaven, that's what he's doing. He's speculating the best that life can be without God in your life, under heaven, under the sun. And so these are wise words he's going to give us. And he goes on and he says, What a heavy burden God has laid upon men. How many would say amen? I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and all of them are meaningless. They are a chasing after the wind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Wisdom. I know that you're crying in the street for people to gather around you and listen. Help us to hear today. Give us ears to hear, a heart to understand, and the courage to apply it to our lives, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Title of my sermon is, The Wind Chaser. The Wind Chaser. 
pay real careful attention to this message. Because he uses some words here that are unusual all through Ecclesiastes, and you need to know these words. One word that he uses all through this book is man 49 times. And that word man all through Ecclesiastes is the word Adam. It's the Hebrew word Adam. Literally means the flesh part of a man that lives and dies on this earth. Turns back to dust. And he's saying here's everything that a fleshly man can do under the sun. 49 times he says, man this, man does that, man does this, man's activities, man's accomplishments, man's things that he thinks is going to make his life better. And he just constantly says, this is the best man can do under the sun without God. And everybody says, I want to live my life without God. And all around the world, it's like man, man, man wants to live their life without God. And this book says, there's a ceiling here. There's a ceiling and it's called heaven. There's a ceiling it's called under the sun. And there's only so many things that you can do under the sun without God. You have a, a lid on your life that is going to be impenetrable and it's going to be depressing if that lid stays on your life. If you're not able to pop that lid open, getting up every day and going to work is going to be really hard. In fact, he says this at the end of Ecclesiastes. He says, keep your creator in mind while you're young. Because in the years to come, you will be burdened down with troubles. And you will say, I don't like life anymore. How many have ever done that? Remember your creator. That means don't forget to take the lid off your life. Don't just be Adam. Don't just be man. Don't just be dust and goes back to dust. Take the lid off because if you don't, when you're young, as you get older with that same philosophy of life that I'm just going to live and die, there will be a lid on your life. And when you get old, you'll say to yourself, life's just not fun anymore. In fact, the words are... I don't enjoy life anymore. And he goes on and he says, Someday the light of the sun and the moon and the stars will be dim to you. This is old age. Your eyes will become dim. Rain clouds will remain over your head and your body will grow feeble. Your teeth will decay and your eyesight will fail. The noisy grinding of the street will be shut out from your deaf ears. Even the song of the birds will keep you awake. You'll be afraid to climb a hill or walk down a road. Your hair will turn white as almond blossoms. You'll feel lifeless and you'll drag along like an old grasshopper. Have you ever felt like an old grasshopper? This is talking about the person who life is meaningless because all they are is Adam. All they are is man and all they are going to do is live and die, and the ceiling is there, and it's called the sun, and it's called the heavens, and I don't have anything beyond this life, so everything in this life is depressing to me. And what God wants us to do is God wants us to get to the end of this life, and like Ecclesiastes says, death is even better than life. Because when I leave this world, I'm going to a world that is different than this world. God wants us to live in the hope that there is no lid. 
God wants us to live in the hope that there is a God. God wants us to live in the hope that there's something beyond this world. And I'm going there. I'm a pilgrim passing through. And I can't wait to be with the Lord. Because I don't want to go to the end of my life and be an old grasshopper. That sounds funny. I can't even be serious when I say that. Because I've walked around like an old grasshopper sometimes. But as we go in this book, he's trying to teach us not to be wind chasers. And some of the other words that he used here are important. Man appears 49 times. Evil appears 39 times. Re'ah is the word. It's interpreted sore, madness, hurt, grievous, adversity, wickedness, misery. It's the opposite of good. So it's man who's finite, man who's going to be in this world, go back to dust, and if not for the Spirit of God to birth us again and the Spirit to rise up and be born again and live forever, we'll go back to the earth. And he's saying that man is burdened down with this word that's used 39 times. 49 times man, 39 times burdened with the opposite of good, which is sin. I mean, sin is grievous. It's sore. It hurts. It's misery. It's hurt. It's pain. How many have ever felt that upon Adam? The weight of all this on man, how do we deal with it in this world under the sun? Is what he's trying to say. Then another word he uses 38 times, which is kind of the center of the book, is a word called hevel. It's a word that means meaningless or vanity or the literal translation of the word is vapor. In fact, they say the best translation is when you see a bubble and it pops, whatever is still there. When you breathe and the air comes out of your mouth and dissipates, when smoke goes in the air and it disappears. When a mist is there and then it's gone. These are times all through the Bible where this word is used. And this center of this book is the word meaningless, 38 times. Word is actually able. Same word used in Genesis 4 too. Meaningless. And you know, this um, chasing the wind, Solomon caught it. A lot of us chase it and we never really fully catch it. We chase all these things that are meaningless, all these things that not are not eternal, all these things that don't affect anything in this world. We chase them. He's going to go through a list of things that we chase. But Solomon actually caught every one of them. He had them in his hand. The thing that he pursued, he caught. And in his hand, he said, it's meaningless. And there have been people in this world that have caught the wind. You know, somebody, I've not seen the interview. Somebody said there was an interview with Tom Brady after his third Super Bowl title. And he said to himself, is this all there is? He was questioning. He goes, I've gotten three now. And, this is, and you know, athletes will reach the pinnacle And they'll catch it. 
And they'll say, is this all it was? You know, somebody will go to, um, the, the, they'll, they'll apply themselves to intellectualism and he'll talk about that. And they'll reach the highest level and they'll have that master's degree. They'll become a PhD in some area and they'll have it in their hand. And they'll say, it's not what I thought. They'll reach the job that they dreamed about and they'll sit in their office for three or four or five or six months and they'll say, man, this is not what I thought it would be. They did a survey of young couples and they said, what is the one thing in life that would fulfill you? And they said, having children, the highest percentage. They interviewed them after having two or three children several years later. And they were totally disillusioned. <laughs> but do you know in every area of life, and, and these aren't bad things, the things that he's going to go over a list, there's two parts of his list in every area. The one is the parameters that God set that are healthy and good for a human being. And then the other are Solomon went beyond what was approved by God and did things that were not approved by God and became very wicked. And he says that both, both, if you're trying to get meaning in your life with these things, both will leave you empty. The good and the bad, especially the bad. But both will leave you empty. And you say, well, how is that possible? Now, as Solomon comes along, he doesn't look like the right guy to teach this lesson. And this is where my study got really interesting in wind chaser. Because he was a wind chaser. He's a, it's difficult for a person who's failed in every area, who knew in every area not to do it, but still fell. He wrote Proverbs about, you know, a relationship with God and being close to God and loving God is greater. The wisdom of God is greater than silver and gold. He wrote that. But amassed fortunes to the point that God was so angry with him. He talked about the love of your youth. Love the, the one of your youth and don't drink from another person's cisterns or another person's well. And be devoted to the one that you love. He failed. In the biggest, most grand way, he failed. So how is he the man to begin to teach this? And I started studying it. And Ecclesiastes is the, um, as I began to look at it, is the Koheleth. The Koheleth is what Ecclesiastes is. And Koheleth means the one who gathers Proverbs together and organizes them and gathers people around so they can hear what the Proverbs are. You say, well, what does that mean? The Koheleth is a, it has a history. The Koheleth, um, the Targums of Israel, this is a teaching, this is not Bible, but this is the rabbis starting in about 500 BC. They put notations in every book in Aramaic so they could teach people as they were studying, just like our study notes in our Bible. And these rabbis had a history of former rabbis previous to 500 B.C. And in their Targum, which is not Scripture, but in their Targum, 
right at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, they give a story about Solomon that's very interesting, that kind of sorts out maybe some of the problems with this interpretation. And what they say is, like, let me read it. It says, When King Solomon was sitting upon his throne of his kingdom, his heart became greatly elated with his riches. And he transgressed the commandment of the word of God, and he gathered many houses, many chariots and riders, and amassed much gold and silver, and he married wives from foreign nations, whereas the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. And God drove him from the throne of his kingdom and took away the ring from his hand in order that he should roam the world and reprove it. And he went about the towns and the cities in the land of Israel weeping and lamenting and saying, I am Koheleth, whose name was formerly called Solomon, who was king over Israel and Jerusalem. So the thing that was hard for people to understand was, and this may give some insight into it, the reading reads like Solomon was the king till his very last day, lived to be 60, didn't live very long, 40 years as king. And the reading appears like he was the king to the very end and was succeeded by his son Rehoboam. But get this, I want you to hear this. Somewhere toward the end of his kingship, they say a spirit of prophecy came upon Solomon, and the Bible attests to this, that Solomon, by a spirit of prophecy, knew that Rehoboam would take his throne, the throne would split, and Jeroboam would also come in. And it says when he began to marry foreign wives... It says God got angry with him and said the kingdom was going to split. And whenever Solomon heard this, they say the beginning part of of Ecclesiastes is Solomon saying, everything that I have built is going to be gone. Everything that I spent all of my life building, all of my life doing, everything that I've done is meaningless. It's all meaningless because God had told him that when he dies... His son is going to take the throne. The throne is going to split. He's going to give one tribe to his son for the sake of David. And the kingdom is just going to be shattered. And so he began to write Ecclesiastes. And what's really weird is the Koheleth is a feminine word. It's clearly Solomon, but it's a feminine term. And so the... the, Rabbis begin to explain why it is. And the reason why it is is because Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman. And so God has used the life of Solomon to humble him, to break him. He repented and he began to teach the people of Israel at the very end of his life. The only hope that that he ever repented, he became the Kohalath which means the instrument of the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to all the people. And he weeped and he lamented and he said, what I did was wrong. Everything that I did was meaningless. Everything I did with my life was wrong. And he was trying to tell them everything under the sun is meaningless. It's like catching air. So this whole book, he begins to set out to tell people everything I did in my life was a lie. Everything that I experienced was a lie. And this nation, we we think to ourselves and the people when Jesus came, they thought that Jesus was going to come and set up this wonderful, grand, glorious kingdom. 
Solomon came into the kingdom. It was perfect. All the enemies had been uh, wiped out. It was a perfect peace for 40 years. Everything was set up. He was wealthy from David. And he came in and he set up this utopian kingdom. And somehow we think in this world we can set up a kingdom that will solve every problem the world has. We think we can solve poverty. We think we can solve the environment. We think we can solve sin. We think we can solve all these problems and we use every resource under the sun. And Solomon, as he begins to think back on his life, he says, whatever is twisted, I can't straighten. Whatever is lacking, I have no ability to count it. He came to the end of his wisdom. He said, I can't fix the problems that are under the sun. And he began to acknowledge that only God can do what my wisdom could never do. But how many times do we keep saying to ourselves, I can solve the problems under the sun. I don't need his son. I don't need forgiveness of sins. I don't need a relationship with God. I don't need God in my life. And Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, was humbled at the end of his life. And he said, I can't straighten out what's wrong with the world. I can't fix it. I don't have the intelligence. I don't have the wisdom. It can't be straightened. And he begins to repent and begins to tell the people in wisdom through Solomon is gathering the people around her. And she's saying, listen to this man. Listen to this man. Listen to this man. Listen to the experiences of his life so you don't make the same mistake. Be wiser than Solomon. And you say, well, man, how can I be wiser than Solomon? We're going to get to that in a minute. But Solomon begins in the first place he looks. He begins to look at intellectualism. And he begins to talk in, in verse chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. It says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel. I devoted myself to study, to explore by wisdom all that's done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid upon men. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. They're meaningless. They're like chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look... I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anybody who's ever ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. I've applied myself to understanding of wisdom. I also have studied madness and folly, but I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more I know, the more I am grieved. And still people chase intellectualism. They say, man, I'm so smart. I don't need God. I'm so smart. And he's trying to, wisdom is gathering around. It's not Solomon. It's wisdom speaking through this man. The Kohaleth is speaking through Solomon saying, gather around and hear this man. This man was so intelligent, he didn't go on a book tour. He didn't go post on social media and have a lot of followers. He didn't have uh, universities. He went and gave speeches. He didn't do uh, open forums and city halls. The entire world came to him. The entire world came to him. The Bible says, and you can read about Solomon when you go home, First Kings chapters 1 through 11 and Second Chronicles 1 through 9, but the whole world, it says, every nation sent ambassadors 
to sit at Solomon's feet and listen to his words. He was so wise. It said that they came to listen to him about everything in the natural world. They came to listen to him about reptiles and birds, uh, trees. Solomon knew everything. He was very intelligent, extremely intelligent. In fact, he's about on the same level as us with Google search. And I'm not even lying here. Google search puts us in the same realm as Solomon. You can see people on the street that have intelligence and knowledge way beyond their IQ. And I'm being serious. I'm not even joking. Because you can Google search something and literally sound like an expert. How many know that to be true? You can go to a university and you can have your head full of intellectualism. And, and, and Solomon chased it. Solomon read every book on every subject and God gave him a supernatural intelligence. It wasn't just wisdom. He was beyond everybody's intelligence. They came from all over the world. This was the perfect king, the perfect nation. You say, man, if we can only get the government right, if we can only get our conservative or we can only get our, our um, liberal in there. Oh, they're so smart. They're so wonderful. They're so great. And Solomon was a wonderful leader when he trusted God and he served God and he lived for God. But he began to chase intellectualism. He began to chase after intellectualism. Do you hear what I'm saying? He began to marry foreign wives. He began to become multicultural. He began to bring in these wives from all over the world and God was so angry with Solomon. His intellectualism led to multiculturalism. His intellectualism led to going away from God to where these foreign wives were old. They were out in the open sacrificing before their gods right in the middle of Israel in the temple of God. And we make the same mistakes today. Our intellectualism says, no, God, I don't need God. I don't need God in my life. I've got all this in my life. And I'm going to chase after intellectualism because we can solve our problems. And God says, you're chasing after the wind. You're chasing after something that at the end of your life will have no meaning. It'll have no purpose in your life. Solomon was at the end of his life. He was broken. He was shattered. He did all the wrong things. He could have done wonderful things in that kingdom. He could have done great things with the honor and the wealth and the wisdom and the knowledge that God gave him. But he threw it all away. And he had no legacy at all. He was going to die and that kingdom was going to be destroyed because of his behavior. And he knew it now. And all of that intellectualism, you say, well, how's that going to affect me? Some of you, your kids won't even serve the Lord because you're so smart. Some of you, you won't serve the Lord because you're so smart. Your wife won't serve the Lord because you're so smart. And you say, man, let me chase after this. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. You're lost. You're chasing the wind. You're chasing something that's driving you away from God to make you happy. Intelligence is not bad. None of this list is bad. That can be really bad. But intelligence is a great thing. Learning is a great thing. Degrees are a great thing. But chasing intellectualism is saying when I acquire it, it'll fill the place of God. And that's what he did. He pushed God out and said, I'm going to replace it with this. 
The second thing that he begins to talk about in wisdom, it's flowing through this vessel, and wisdom says, gather around and listen to this man. Solomon's an old man, he's dying. He's 60 and he's dying. But he's the Koheleth. He's the one that's putting out wisdom from somebody that did it really wrong. Do you understand the Holy Spirit is working? Wisdom is working through him. And God knew that he would backslide. And the wisest man in the world is saying, don't do it, I'm pretty smart. Next thing he chased is something called hedonism. Hedonism. Let me give you a definition just so you know it's not coming from me. You made that up, Chad. No, I didn't. Here's the definition, a noun. A person who believes that the pursuit of pleasure is the most important thing in life, a pleasure seeker. Is there anything wrong with pleasure? Solomon started off staying within the parameters of what God said is wonderful things. I mean, oh, there's a million things in life that are great. I mean, just taking a day off to walk through the woods and, man, see, what God wants you to do is enjoy the things that he's done for us and just thank him for it. Man, a good meal. Thank you, Lord. And you get, God gets honor out of that. That goes beyond the sun, doesn't it? It goes beyond the heavens. It's not just under the sun. It's like God has blessed me with this meal, and you might live in a shack, and you might just have a cracker. And there are people in the world that would say, I'm so thankful, God. But here Solomon has everything. In fact, you know, there's so much food. for He has a staff of 30,000 people. He had the ability to find the best wines in the world, the best beers in the world, the best liquor in the world. I mean, there was nothing that he kept from himself. At first, he started off serving God. And every pleasure that God had, he would thank God for it. He would bless God for it. And then he started crossing lines. And he said, man, I will. And he began to hedonistically magnify everything. He said, well, if having a woman is good, having 1,000 of them would be even better. So he had 700 wives, all of royal descent. Now, a lot of you are saying that's trouble right there. One is enough. But a 1,000, I know what happened to him now. But God said, don't do it. Don't do it. And he said, if one is good, a thousand is better. So 700 wives of royal descent, 300 concubines. And you say, well, man, I'll never have a chance to do that. Well, on your computer, you probably have at least a thousand. If you're a hedonist, it's like, man, it's not just my wife. The pornography I watch, there's at least a thousand women in my life. Why did I have to go there? Why? That's what hedonism is, pleasure-seeking. I go there because I love you, not to make you mad or upset with me. I know it's going to make people mad, but we're not, we're not much different than Solomon sometimes. Hedonism says I'm going to cross every line to bring pleasure to myself. And I'm going to forget the lines that God made, wonderful lines that say, man, I want you to enjoy certain things in life. But man, if you cross that line, it's going to destroy you. And he was obedient to God, and then suddenly he crossed every line. And he begins to opine on here. He begins to give you his record of what happened as the wisest man in the world. He said, I've experienced 
thousands of women. This guy was a rock star, basically. He wrote a thousand and five songs. Do you know anybody that's written a thousand and five songs? He musically owned every band in the land. It said that he hired all the musicians and everybody were at his palace. If he wanted a concert, okay, he would just pick up the phone and he'd say, Hey, we're going to meet here. I'm inviting everybody in the nation to come here because he owned all the bands. Okay, he wrote a thousand and five songs. He wrote 3,000 proverbs. He was the wealthiest man in the nation. He was the son of King David. All right, he owned uh, the most... Uh, expensive horses in the world. He had the biggest stables. He had whole cities full of horsemen. He had the most beautiful chariots. He had a throne made of ivory covered with gold that had six steps, golden lions on each step. The throne was huge with armrests, a rounded back. They said there's never been a throne that looked like Solomon's. He was rich. And he tried everything. He tried women. And he said it was meaningless. He said, I would have been better off being in love with one woman and appreciating that one woman. Or if you're a woman, that man. I don't need the romance novels. I need to love the one man, the love one woman. I don't need the pornography. I don't need those things because I need to be obedient to God. And Solomon at the end of his life is broken. He's beaten down. You say, well, man, I'm not married. I just need to run around with everybody. I need to have sex with everybody that I can possibly have sex with because that pleases me. And Solomon said, no, don't do it. He said, gather around me. I destroyed my life. I'm an old grasshopper here. All right, so listen, young grasshopper. I had to say it. And you know I've been waiting to say that for a long time. But wisdom is just flowing through this vessel, and Solomon is saying... I ruined my life, I ruined my family, I ruined my kingdom, I ruined everything by hedonism, by pleasure-seeking. Pleasure is not wrong. Pleasure is a diversion, and if we do things that, I mean, it's, it's nice to sit down and have a nice meal, isn't it? Nothing wrong with sitting down and having a nice, everybody's like, oh, I don't know, can we eat? It's nice to have a nice meal. But what God wants us to do is thank God for it. It's nice to do something that's fun regularly. All right? And it's, it's nice to say, God, thank you. It's nice to have a vacation. God, it's nice to have this car. It's nice to have a job. It's nice to have groceries. It's nice to have all this thing. But here's the thing. They did it without God. They said, God has no part of this. And... The pleasure replaced God. And many, if I can get enough pleasure, I will have purpose and fulfillment in my life. And Solomon was saying, you're wrong. I tried it. I went there. I tried to get fulfillment. I tried to get purpose in my life. And he just didn't have any purpose. It was all meaningless. He said, I have no purpose in my life. I'm an old man. I'm 60. He's young. And he's dying. And he's saying, I had no purpose in my life, no meaning to my life. It was all meaningless. Then he goes on. He says, laughter. I thought, man, if I could chase down laughter and good times and fun and parties. I mean, no, some of the most miserable people want to be at parties all the time. They want to watch the funniest movies. 
They want to be in front of the funniest comedians, and those things aren't bad. But do you know that some of the best comedians that ever lived, they're all known to be really depressed. It's just some strange thing of psychology that the best comedians are oftentimes the most depressed people in the world. And what God is saying is, yeah, laughter is like a medicine. Laughter is a good thing. Laughter is a wonderful thing. I want you to laugh. I want you to have fun. I want you to enjoy life. But if laughing is going to make this world have meaning for you, when you have the sun over your head and the heavens, and it's all about living here and dying here, and all about me here, you're not going to have any meaning in your life. But I laugh. I have joy because I know that life is going to get better when this life is over. Real joy doesn't isn't based on circumstance. It's not based on having fun. It's not based on hedonism. It's based on knowing that God loves me, God blesses me, and the world to come is going to be beautiful and perfect and wonderful. There's no sun blocking me in. There's no heavens over me blocking me in because I have purpose in my life. I have meaning in my life. I have a future. I have a hope. If you are a hedonist, you have no future and you have no hope. You'll have fun today. You'll eat, drink, and you'll be merry like Solomon, but you know that there's no tomorrow. And that's hard to live with. That's hard to live with. And God doesn't want us to live like that. God wants us to be a 100 years old and say, my best days are ahead of me. Do you know that a Christian can say, my best days are always ahead of me? The best day on this earth cannot compare to my first day in death. To die is gain, Paul said. It says that Jesus Christ took the sting of sin away. The the sting of death is gone. I can live this world not worried about dying. I'm not Adam who's going to die in the dust, who has to enjoy everything under the sun because I have no future. I can enjoy what's here, the blessing of God, and still look forward to my best days. I'm not going to be an old grasshopper. I'm going to be a happy, lively grasshopper. I'm going to be a cricket. Sea rickets, right? The cricket, the happy cricket, chirping all day long because I have a future, right? All right. And it's cheesy, I'm sorry. It's natural, very natural. (laughs) Then he goes into another area. Materialism. How many like HGTV? I would never dare preach against HTV, HGTV. All right? Home and garden and wonderful things. How many, how many know it's a wonderful thing to have a little grape arbor? Wonderful thing to have an orchard full of fruit. Is it a wonderful thing? Go out and, I mean, I, just this week I was cutting up apples and I was making little lunches for myself, and I was like, those are my apples. I'm your dad, you know? I planted you, I grew you, I talked to him, all right? And you're so sweet, you're so sweet. But it's a wonderful thing to have your own garden, to have your own orchard, to have a beautiful house and nice things in it, and a nice car. And But materialism will tell you that when I acquire that, I will have purpose in my life. 
And there's a lot of people in this world that are sitting in that house and they finally have it. They're like, man, it's like catching the wind. I thought this would give me purpose. And then there's somebody sitting in a little shack in a third world country that are just so thankful that God let them have a roof over their head. What is the difference between the two? There was a guy that wrote a book. I can't remember the name of the book and the guy, which means the book may not even exist. But he went around the world and had everybody, he would have different people from different parts of the world put everything that they owned in their front yard. And then he would interview them about how happy they were. And of course in America, it took days to take everything and put it in their front yard. But he paid them and, you know, this is part of his book, you know, to do this. And it took them forever to put everything in their yard. And then he would interview them. And they would, for the most part, be depressed, full of anxiety, miserable. Not really that happy in comparison. Some happiness, some not. And then he would go to countries where they barely took them 10 minutes to put everything they owned in their front yard. Had very little. And uh, he would interview them and they'd say, I'm so thankful that God has blessed me with this and God has blessed me with that. And and the book is about that. The book is about how it's not what you own that makes you happy. It's the attitude that's in your heart. And man, if you've got an attitude that says, God, I love you. I thank you. I've got a bright future. And you know, and, 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 the, and the purpose of this message is that every day when we get up, we have a choice. We can chase the wind, meaningless things that eternally don't mean anything. They really don't. Or when we get up every day, we can chase eternal things. I'm going to give you an example here real fast. But there was a boy, I'll tell you a story real quick. There was a boy. His dad came home from work and he was frustrated and tired. And how many have ever been like that? I might be the only one frustrated and tired and and his son comes up and he says, hey, dad, how much do you make an hour? His dad was insulted. So don't ask, well, why is he asking that? Is he trying to insult me or what's he trying to do? And he was mad. So he walked away and he was like, it's none of your business. But then he felt bad because the kid walked away crying and he went back a little bit later and he said, I'm sorry I made you cry. He said, why did you ask me that? He goes, I was just, I just wanted to know. And he said, well, I make $25 an hour. And the kid said, okay. And uh, he came back and he handed him $25. He said, Dad, can I have an hour? Think about it. What is eternal today? What is eternal today? How much time do we... We have to have enough money to pay our grocery bill. We have to pay our rent. We have to pay certain things to live, but how much of our time are we chasing the wind, meaningless things? Now I want to show you how to be wiser than Solomon because the Holy Spirit put Solomon there to teach us. His life was a lesson to teach us. And there was one wiser than Solomon and his name was Jesus. And I want you to see the contrast as I close here with Solomon. Solomon was the son of David. The Bible says that the son of David will rule on the throne and it would be an eternal kingdom. When Solomon walked to the throne, 
Do you not think that they thought he was the Messiah? Solomon couldn't take the throne until the Bible says David put every enemy under his feet. David is a symbol of Jesus' ministry, putting the enemies under his feet through his death and resurrection. Solomon is an example of the eternal kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ, that won't last just 40 years, it'll last a thousand, and then into eternity. He's a picture of Christ. But Solomon lived for himself. We're called to rule and reign with Christ. Solomon is an example how not to take the wisdom, the glory, and the honor and live for yourself. But Jesus had more wisdom, more honor, more glory, and more riches than Solomon. And it says he emptied himself of everything that was his and was poor. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He lived for eternal things every single day. Solomon lived to have the best chariots, the best horses, the most gold. Everything was beautiful. Everything was perfect. He'd drive in the countryside and see the vineyards he built, the parks he built, the forests, the palaces, the women. Jesus didn't even have a wife. He was so busy with eternal things, he didn't have a wife. He had all the wisdom that Solomon had, except he applied it. He didn't have to live a life of trial and error. He just trusted God. Oh, and this is speaking to me. I hope it's speaking to you. God wants us to have the spirit of Jesus Christ in us. He wants us to not go through the trial and error. He wants us to live like Jesus Christ and say, man, I'm going to live for eternal things. I'm not going to use the glory, the power, the honor, the strength, all the things that I have in my life. I'm going to do enough to do the things that I need to do in my life, but I'm going to focus on eternal things. I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to focus on people. I'm going to focus on on, on eternal things, and I'm not going to spend my whole life chasing meaningless things. I believe you, God. I trust you, God. And that's what Jesus Christ did. In fact, I wrote this down. Listen to this. Jesus didn't build any buildings. You ever think about that? Solomon built buildings everywhere. He built cities. I mean, there was nobody that was an administrator like Solomon. He was brilliant. Jesus didn't build one building. Jesus didn't write a single book. Jesus didn't lead any armies. Jesus did not own a significant possession. He did not chase the wind in any part of his life. He was a giver and not a taker. Solomon was a taker. He was a giver. What are we going to be today? Rise to your feet, please. Oh, 1157. Man, talk about miracles of God. That is like... uh, Three minutes to spare. What am I going to do with it? Let me be wise. How would Solomon? No. How would Jesus do this? All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. And and Lord, we thank you for your wisdom. Lord, it just flowed out of this man, Lord God. Holy Spirit, let it just flow into our hearts.
Let us be the type of people that don't have to experience the alcohol and the drugs and the hedonism and the intellectualism and the materialism and all the things that he experienced, but let us be wiser than Solomon. Lord, let us uh, pour our life out. He summed it up with this, fear God, keep his commandments. Help us today, Lord. You just keep your eyes closed. I just want to ask you today, don't get a lot of opportunities in life to give your heart to Jesus Christ, but I would be honored to lead you to the Lord. If that's you today, you've never given your heart to the Lord. I've been chasing things that I know are meaningless. If that's you, I want to pray with you. All he asks is that you confess it. Say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't want to be a taker my whole life. I want to be a giver. I want to dedicate my life to giving and not taking. Right here, I've never given my heart to the Lord. I'd like to do that to anybody. A few moments here. Never given my heart to the Lord. I want to be the Lord of my life today, for real today. How many of you today, and nobody's looking around, I know I'm looking for eyeballs, I don't see anybody. How many would say today, man, I've lived selfishly. Maybe not all the time, but man, I want God to make me more like Jesus. We can't be as great as Jesus was. We can just strive to be more like Jesus every day. I want to be more like Jesus today than I was last year. I want to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. Let me say that. I want to be more like Jesus. Let me see that again. That should be everybody in here. More like Jesus. So Lord, I just want you to take the time as we worship here. Just talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, how can I be more like you? How can I be more of a giver like you were? I mean, he was a giver. Man, he was a giver. How can I be more like that, Lord? Lord, will speak to you.